If you would, find the Scripture, Acts 1, 4 through 8. Let me read this to you. It says, While he was together with them, he being Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jer Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, help me to be a plain preacher today, so plain that a child would understand me. Help me to be in tune to your Holy Spirit. Any word of knowledge you give to me to speak to a person or their situation, Lord, if you prompt me with it, I want to be obedient to speak to it. And then, Lord, you look at all of us today, but you see me differently. I'm your teacher. I'm your preacher. On me is a great judgment, a more strict judgment than anybody in this room can give to me. And I know that, and I accept my place in rightly dividing your word. So in the name of Jesus, I pray his name that I preach. Amen. You can be seated if you will. Chad, give me a little more in my mic if you don't mind. Thank you. At the beginning of every year, I usually uh, hit again our strategies, our focus, who we are as a church. And I'm, last Sunday, we were on John 15, and we were talking about the branch being connected to the vine. And if that happens, you're going to live a fruitful, faithful life. Uh, today, we're going to be handling a little bit in Acts 1, but predominantly in Acts 2. I'll get to that in a moment. That's where our focus is going to be the most. But I want to set everything up for you in Acts 1, 4 through 8 that I just read to you. In verses 4 and 5, we have the Lord, a resurrected Jesus, uh, a resurrected Savior who is talking them, and he, he says, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. And we're going to hit Jerusalem here in a minute, in verse 8. But Jerusalem is a difficult place to go back to. Sometimes we will think that God doesn't lead us into difficult places. That's not true. He does lead us into difficult places. In fact, all these places can be difficult that we're going to be talking about in the future and in some of those places, these disciples are put to death. But he's saying, don't leave Jerusalem because of everything that had just happened to Jesus, the accusations to the disciples, the rigged jury, the false witnesses, everything that went on could be a difficult place for them to go. And he tells them, make sure you, you go back there. And then he gives them further instruction. But he says, wait for the Father's promise. What's the Father's promise? He had promised the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches this in the Gospels, that the Holy Spirit is going to come, a comforter, uh, is going to come. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to convict of sin, judgment, and righteousness. He's going to do all these things. And it, he said it's going to be necessary for him to come. It's expedient for him to be here. So he's, the Father's promise is the the, the the coming of the Holy Spirit in the birth of the church. Look at verse 5. Jesus says this, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, predicting that it will come. There were those who gathered together, prayed for 10 days, 
And sometimes it can be taught or even interpreted that they called the Holy Spirit down. The Holy Spirit was already promised, as we can even see in this verse. So what did that prayer do? Of those, all those people together for those days, it, just, it was just preparing them for when the Holy Spirit was going to birth the church. And so we look in verse 6. In verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, you are restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time. Just stop for a moment, okay? Let's live in some practicality here. They, they had seen Jesus do all this stuff in his ministry. They saw him raised from the dead, and they're communicating with a resurrected Christ. And their focus is whether Israel is going to get their kingdom right again. Is Israel going to be restored? Now just think about that for a moment. There's hint in the Gospels that the disciples thought that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. And the way we find that is, do you remember when they argued? The disciples were arguing over what place they would have in his kingdom. Now hang on. Don't think those times are any stranger than this. Do you remember when their mother got involved in the argument? It said that the mother came and took Jesus off to the side, and she's like, is my boy going to start Friday night at the basketball game? Are you going to place my sons? Who's going to sit on the left, and who's going to sit on the right of you? Where, where are you going to place my sons? So there's hint in the Gospels that the disciples would sometimes think of an earthly kingdom being set up. So they wanted to know where their place was in it. And so even here, as they're getting ready to witness the ascension of Jesus, a miraculous time in and of itself, they are, they are saying, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? And then verse 8, Jesus said something in, in, uh, in verse 7. Go ahead, verse 7. Then he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Uh, I believe Jesus is talking a little bit of smack here, a whole lot of truth, but it's like, I don't want you focused on that. Don't let your focus be on whether Israel's going to be restored or not. That's up to the Father, and that's in the Father's timeline, and he has the authority over that. But here's what I want you to focus on in verse 8. Verse 8 is where I want your focus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which he just told us. Don't forget to go back to Jerusalem. A difficult place, but they all are. But Jerusalem too. In all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And even, uh, even with us, this gives the church today a missional outline of are we serving in these areas? That's one of the things that we do as a church here. Are we serving in these capacities? Jerusalem would be locally. Uh, Judea would be in our state. Samaria would be the United States. And then obviously the ends of the earth would be internationally. Are we, are we, are we spreading the gospel of our Lord in all of these places becomes a missional outline for our church. Uh, look how quickly the disciples can be distracted, just like us. And that's what we're going to hit on today a lot. Look at Acts 
Uh, here he had just told them, get your mind off what can happen to Israel, but put your mind on going to the world with the gospel. And then again, in just, in just, a, in just a few verses, <clears throat> they are seeing him ascended into heaven and they said, the angels came down. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. And I want to respond that we look for the coming of Christ. When I say that Jesus says, don't let your focus to the disciples be on restoration of Israel. He's like, I, I want to take the gospel to the world. And I have a strategy to do that. That's where I want you to focus. But he does tell us to look for the Lord's coming. Not the re restoration of Israel and the Lord's coming can be two different things in a lot of ways. We believe and look for the return of Christ, the blessed hope of glory. We look for the return of our Lord, <clears throat> just as the angels reminded them. As you've seen him go, he will likewise come again. But here they are in distraction They've been given their marching orders, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the world, and they're stargazing. Why, why are you sitting here stargazing? Get, get into what he wants you to focus on, which would be the Holy Spirit empowering you, and then you being that witness throughout all the world. So one of the ways, one of the ways we teach here that we keep our focus is we teach something called the big five. We'll, we'll see it in just a moment. In fact, if you, if you want to, you can go ahead and put it up on the screen. <clears throat> you see this when you come in, worship, fellowship, discipleship, evangelism, and ministry. <clears throat> we share this with our mother church, which is Hillview Heights in Bowling Green. And it's Hillview, V-U-E, not V-I-E-W. And they are our mother church. Steve and I have been more than best friends for a long, long time. So we, we actually model a lot of things that they do, even administratively, a lot of our structure or lack of it, depending on which way you look at it, uh, comes from our mother church. But we, we learn some of the big five and share in the learning of this together with them. And I want you to know that we have discipleship in the middle for a very specific reason. We want you to start there. Now you're going, if you wanted me to start there, why didn't you put it at the top? I wanted it centered. You get that? That's just such creativity there. Do you see that? Centered. I want that centered. Because discipleship we teach here is we want you in the word of God and we want the word of God in you. Both ways. And so we want it centered there because if you start there, the other four will happen. You begin with discipleship, it will lead you to worship, it will lead you to fellowship, it will lead you to evangelism, it'll lead you to ministry. But we begin with discipleship. And you're going, wait a minute, pastor, wait a minute, you're slacking here. Uh, prayer is not there. Yes, it is. You don't see it? It's there. It's actually in every one of them. Prayer is involved in every one of them. Prayer is an act of worship. When you come together, even in your Christian fellowship, it ought to be centered and have prayer. When you're in discipleship, it's going to mention and lead you to be a person 
of prayer. When it comes to evangelism, you are going to not only pray for the opportunities, you're going to pray for the person. And you're going to continue to pray for that person. Prayer is heavily involved in evangelism. When it comes to ministry, prayer is there. It's in every one of them. It's absolutely in every component that is listed there. So we don't just focus on a few of these things. As a church, we need to be practicing all of these things, not just one, two, or three of them. And we believe these components, these actions of the early church were empowered by the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit moved on these and put these together. And if the early church did this, as the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church, then you and I should be doing it as well as a church. Look at Acts 2.41 for just a moment. We're going to be looking at verses 41 through 47. So those who accepted his message, his being Simon Peter, his preaching, they were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to, added to them, the church. Uh, at this time, we're, we're, we're not talking a whole lot of numbers in the early church. Uh, we can get into discussions over, over that, but anywhere from five to 700 could be, you know, because he appeared to the 500, he appeared to those that believed after the resurrection. Uh, and, and so in, anyway, we're looking at a church that's moving from a few hundred to a few thousand, hang on, in a day. In that day, about 3,000 people were added to them under the preaching of Simon Peter. And here, here is the beauty of this. Let's just get practical for a moment. They weren't baptized like we just baptized Lily. I mean, it's in, in and out. Can you, can you imagine 3,000 baptisms in one day? Can you imagine watching people baptize 3,000 people in one day? Can you imagine how many people it took to baptize 3,000 people in one day? I mean, it, it wasn't in and, you know, let's do it the way we do it. It was just, it was, it was an unbelievable picture. So we see the early church forming the big five in their life empowered by the Holy Spirit and we see the connectivity of the gospel to these people. It, 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 it's really more than a church being added, it's multiplication. It becomes a multiplication. Look at Acts 2.42. I wanna break down the big five in these verses for you. Cause this, we don't just get it as a, as a shared teaching with Hillview. We, uh, we get it from at these verses in Acts 2, 41 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching would be discipleship. They're in fellowship, and they were devoted even to fellowship. We're not talking about hanging out. We're not just talking about hanging out. We're talking about having a kingdom life that is in common with one another. Not a worldly life together, but a, a ministry kingdom life that is together. So even the fellowship and, the, and ministry go together with this. It, it's the same purpose. We, if, to, to use something we use all the time, it's all of us being on the same page when it comes to the kingdom of God. 
We're all living for that purpose. It says there's the breaking of bread together. There is uh, eating together, which you're going to hear that when I talk and preach about the hope arrow. But it is fellowship and worship together. It becomes a common meal. And a lot of times their common meal led to remembering the Lord and his sacrifice. And it, it even emerged into the Lord's Supper together. And they were committed to prayers together, which is ministry and worship. Notice the early church needed each other to be able to get along. They, they were so new and there was only so many, and they needed to come together and learn from one another and ministry not only to one another but to others. And so they're, they're putting all these stories together when they come together. It really is a beautiful picture. Acts 2.43. It says, Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Uh, fear coming over everyone would be worship. It would be the, the, not that I'm afraid of God like I'm afraid of a rattlesnake, but that I am in awe of God. I, 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 go, I go back to Isaiah when Isaiah got to go into the throne room of God. And when Isaiah went into that throne room, he realized who God is and who he is. And there's no match there. And he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm really not worthy to be here. The praise that I hear, I'm not even worthy to be able to give because I'm unclean. And then the Lord touches with the coal on his lips and there's a, a cleansing and a there's a transformation that happens to Isaiah and he goes from woe is me to here am I, send me. Listen, we came here today and as we come here today, I and we need to be reminded that we are nothing without him. Nothing. And we need to be reminded that if it wasn't for his grace and his salvation, we would be nothing. You and I need to be reminded of who he is and who we are and all that he has given, even on this day. Even on this day, you're to, you're to be reminded in worship and by the Holy Spirit and through his word that I'm nothing without him and I have to have him. And the whole picture is just being established on all that he has done for us. Listen, I, you're, you're here today. There's a lot of faces I don't know. If you don't know the Lord, you don't have a shot in the dark. You don't have a chance. You, you can have all the financial blessing in the world over your life, but it will get you nowhere. The only hope you have is in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How else are you going to be saved? There is no other name under heaven and earth by which a man, woman, boy, or girl can be saved than through the name of Jesus. And it goes from woe is me to here am I, Lord, send me. That's what happens. That's the transformation that he does. And so it is the early church would be in worship and they would realize that. 
And then it says, many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles, which would be ministry, things that the Holy Spirit inspired them to pray over and pray for and even do. It becomes a beautiful picture of ministry. Acts 2.44, again, it mentions they're in fellowship. It doesn't have the word there, but it means they're together and they, had, they held all things that are in common. They're on the same page. Acts 2.45 is a picture of, of ministry. Now, you might want me, do y'all want me to skip this verse? <laughs> yeah, you, you might. They sold their possessions and their property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And I know you're going, man, that's early century church. That's Acts 2 church, Brother Jeff. It's, uh, it's, awesome. it's incredible ministry and fellowship. Uh, they, they needed each other to be able to survive in those times, and they were willing to give aid to that. Uh, Acts 2.46 uh, it says they devoted themselves to meeting together, the gathering together. Hebrew says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I know this day may be negotiable for a whole lot of you, but to the early church it wasn't. It w they would gather. They would gather together, and they would do it often. In fact, the Scripture says that they would do this on a daily, daily basis. Uh, I had a dream last night. I don't preach dreams, but I had a dream. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm not going to preach it. But I had a dream that today uh, that um, a, um, a couple in our church, they actually serve in another church, but they were one time here. And uh, they, uh, they, they, were, they, had used our, they had booked our building uh, for, a, uh, for a, a, like a missions conference. They had booked it. And uh, I know the couple very, very well. I baptized them a long time ago, and uh, they had booked this. And so I realized this morning in the dream, I realized this morning that they already had the place booked, and I'd forgotten all about it. I thought, what am I going to do in the dream? Because Julie and I got up this morning, we're like, you know, we, we do the casual, the older man and wife. Did you sleep good? Yeah, did you sleep good? <laughs> you know. Did you go sleep? Yeah, well, you know, everything's good. So, uh, so I, I told her, I said, I had this weird dream. And I mentioned the couple's name. And I said, they had the church already booked. And I was coming to, we were going to, you know, hold our services. And I said, uh, I, uh, I didn't know what to do. And so we were mobile. And I said, uh, and it was going to be cold, like it wind chills seven degrees outside. I said, uh, I said well, we're just going to have to meet outside today. And you know why I know it's a dream? It's because you all came outside at seven degrees. You know, you came and you met outside while we let the, the other people have our building for whatever they did. So it was a weird dream. But anyway, the gathering was, is important. It's important to us. It was important to them. It said they, they, they met in the temple complex um, which would be a form of evangelism. Remember, they're not going to the temple to worship now. That's, that's their Jewish heritage. They're going there because of the crowds are coming there. And you want to pick up more on that? Read Acts 3, which would be the next chapter where Peter and John are going to the temple complex. And there's preaching in the colonnade, of the, which would be the porch. And they're, they're there to, to handle people. So we, we've got evangelism going on. We've, 
got them meeting together going on, which would be worship and ministry. They broke bread from house to house. I really have a picture that you all start inviting each of, your, each of you to your own homes. Uh, don't wait for me to start the program. Don't wait for me to do the dinners for eight. Don't wait for me to do those things. That you start meeting people through ministry or even just through the gathering and you start meeting in your homes and, and praying together. They ate together. They, they ate food with joyful and humble attitudes, which we'll hit just a little later. I just wanted you to see that. Look at Acts 2.47. It said, it said they were praising God, having favor with all people, which would be worship in the big five. And there's continued ministry going on and there's evangelism going on because the Lord added to them uh, those who were being saved in that day. Here's what the big five does. If you put the big five back on the screen, here's what the big five does. Remember, where do we start? We want to start with discipleship. We want to start there. And then you'll see the other things start organically, naturally occurring in your life. But here's what happens. It's a focus on the Lord. All these will get you to have a focus on the Lord, of being in his presence. And not only being in his presence, but having the Lord reveal to you what he's inviting you to join him in. I long for the day when you're telling me that you're with the Father. And being with the Father, he has shown you, he's matured you through his word and his presence. And then there's revelation that comes. I'm not just talking about John writing on the island of Patmos in the last book of the Bible. I'm talking about revelation of what he's doing and how he invites you to join him in that work. I long to hear that day. And as a pastor, then I, I help you, equip you to be able to do what he has revealed to you in his presence. And so we, we see, we begin there. But what does it do? It gives us a focus on the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that you are to keep your eyes fixed and focused on the Lord. We are to stay there, uh, focused on him, keeping your eyes on Jesus. He's the source and the perfecter, the author and the finisher of the story of my life. And I've got to keep my eyes fixed, just like the disciples that I mentioned earlier. They were distracted back in the gospel story of who's going to have the right and the left, be seated on the right and the left of Jesus in an earthly kingdom. Even the mom pitched in her argument. We find that happening after he's resurrected, before he's ascended. And then after he's ascended, he's already told them what to do. And they're just stargazing. And the angels are even jumping on them a little bit. Like, why are you stargazing? You know, he's going to come back. Get on into what you need to be doing. The big five help you stay focused uh, on the Lord, knowing and doing the, the will of God. And the picture here that is given in this verse of fixing your eyes or keeping your eyes on the Lord is no distractions. I'm, there, are no, there are absolutely no distractions. He is the goal. He is absolutely the goal. I'm not distracted from or by other things. Let me give you an example of the big five. Put that back on the screen if you don't mind. I've said this, I've, I've been preaching this big five deal. We've been doing this as a strategy since 1998. 
And I want you to know you got to do it. You can't amen me. You can't say that's a great idea. You can't say I see it. You got to do it. I mean, this is where you go from being a hearer in, in James' book to being a doer. You got to do it. Uh, I, I, I've known camp life for a long, long time. Been involved in camp life. Sending kids to camp in the summertime. And it always happens. They're fired up. Let's just say they get there Monday and they leave Friday. They're fired up, man. They, they go, I'm going to win my middle school to the Lord. I'm going to win my high school to the Lord. We've all been there. Every one of us has been there. And, and then some of us as adults, we'll go off to a conference, two or three day conference. We'll come back fired up. Man, I'm going to win. I'm going to win people to the Lord where I work and in my neighborhood. And I'm on fire, man. I, I mean, this is going to be awesome. And then we go to retreats or advances, which whatever you call them. And we're, we're there for a while and we're focused. Here's what happens. When you're at that camp for those days and you're in that conference for those days and you're in that retreat or advance for those days, what are you doing? You're focusing on the big five. It, camp, it's not electric guitar and a set of drums, man, in a zip line that, that causes you to have a fire for the Lord. It, it is you're living out the big five. And we say it all the time. Every youth pastor I know says this. On their way back home, don't let this fire go out. And by Wednesday, they have crashed and burned of the next week. You know why? They got back into their old routine. And you know what the old routine did not have? It didn't have the big five. And the big five is going to keep you focused on the Lord because the enemy and the world will cause you to be distracted from him. And he wants you to be. So the big five keeps you zeroed in exactly where you need to be. And Hebrews says we, we fix our eyes on him. No distractions, not glancing any, anywhere else. So there's a healthy balance when you do the big five. When you do the big five in your life, it's a kingdom life. Let me give you some practical approaches. You're gonna become a heck of a family member. When I'm doing the big five, I, I mean, Julie looks at me like she used to look at Brad Pitt or something. You know what? I'm, you know what I'm saying? You know, when I'm doing the big five, I'm a good daddy. I'm a good husband. I'm a good brother. I'm a good son. When you're doing the big five, you're a good friend. In fact, you're the, you're the best of friends can be. When you're doing the big five, you're a great employee and you're a great employer. And I can go on through life situations. When you're doing the big five, the spirit of God gives you a spirit of excellence like he did his servant Daniel. It says everything that you do. Uh, the big five gives us a good healthy balance in our life. Acts, Acts 2, 46. I told you I'd go back to that verse. And in this verse is a picture of how the early church, do you see that last? They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude, which means they were glad and they were, there was simplicity. That the, the big five in the early church, so when I, when I read that, that they're happy and simple, I, I can't help it. It's my favorite. I just go to Andy Griffith's front porch, you know, after he's had a meal with Aunt B and Barney on Sunday afternoon, you know, 
where that, that front porch is so appealing to all of us, isn't it? And it, it, it's just the early church. They were happy and they were simple. Even in, even in their common meal, they were grateful and they are thankful. And I, I want you to see how this focus is a daily focus. All right? How often, pastor, do you want me to do the big five every day? Every day. Let me show you where we get this. Uh, Acts 2.47. In Acts 2.47, uh, I'm so, uh, sorry, go back to Acts 2.46 if you don't mind. Acts 2.46, it said every day they devoted themselves to coming together. Do you see that? Acts uh, 2.47, which would be the next one. It talks about, and every day the Lord added to their church. Look at Acts, uh, look at Acts 6.1 talking about the care of the widows. The early church was concerned about the widows and said they were being overlooked in their daily care. They wanted those widows to be taken care of daily. Look at Acts 17, 11. It talks about how they, uh, they examined the scriptures. Do you see that at the bottom? Daily. They examined his word daily. Acts 16, 5, uh, we have a picture that because of the church, the early church doing the big five, they increased in number daily. I want to add to you Luke 9, 23. And I chose Luke because Luke wrote the book of Acts. And as he's writing the book of Acts, he's got this, this focus on daily. And I want you to see it even in his gospel that he wrote. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come, come with me or even to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a marker in my life where I surrendered my life to the Lord, but it's an everyday surrender. I take, we take up our cross daily. The sacrifice that we need to do. Uh, Logan's going to lead you in a song that talks about, I lay down my dreams and my desires. I, I'm going to sacrifice all I wanted for me for all that you want for me. And it's a daily sacrifice and a surrender that happens here. So the focus is daily. I want to take you back to old school Hope Church. You remember these days. When I was younger, I'd, I'd halfway dance a jig sometimes in worship. I said when I was younger. But I, I remember the song that we used to sing. Every day, it's you I live for. Every day, I'll follow after you. I want to sing it, but I'll just hold it back from you. Every day, I'll walk with you, my Lord. Every day, it's you I live for. Remember that? I guess I am singing it, right? Uh, Every day, got it? Every day. How do I do this? Every single day. And when you do the big five, every single day you're saying, Pastor, that's a whole lot to work into my day. No, it isn't. It'll become like breathing to you. You, you don't tell your lungs to breathe. You just do it because they know to breathe because there's a life there. In, in the big five, there's life there. You'll go to spiritual heights you've never dreamed of in your life, and it becomes a daily strategy. Don't amen me. Don't say it's a good idea. You gotta do it. Yes. You've got to do it. You've got to practice this in your life, and it'll be transforming maturity and growth 
in all those things. And I want you to listen to this final statement. And I want you to listen carefully. If you think that, other, that people have another hope other than Jesus, then you will never do these things. Did you hear me? If you think that people have another hope outside of Christ, then you'll never do the big five. You'll never do it. Those who do it know that our only hope is in Christ himself. And he is our living hope. It's more of him and it's less of me. Let's pray. Father, I pray over our people today, commitments that need to be made, covenants that need to be restored, Father, lives that need to be changed, souls that need to be saved. I pray that today is a, a day of surrender for them. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We remember his cross, his sacrifice. We remember the power of his resurrection and how the early church lived in that power. And Father, you've called us to live in that power too. And uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. We pray together. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Counselors, find your spots. The team's going to lead us. The invitation is this. Whosoever will, for whatever reason today, you come.